Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am Christopher R. Mim, the writer and director of the films of the Mimiverse, which I'm guessing you know that by the fact that you're listening to a podcast dedicated to it. For which, thank you for listening. I really appreciate that. So, it is June 2015. Just two weeks ago, we released the most recent Mimiverse film, Danny Johnson saves the world. If you were at the premiere, it was a good time. We had a great turnout. I think everybody that was there had a really good time, had fun, and seemed to enjoy the film. It's funny, after you put so much time into making a movie like this, which is a lot of work, and a lot of people put their time and effort into making these films, and then you see it and you enjoy it and, and experience it with a room full of people who, some of whom have no idea what to expect. And then you notice that they're being entertained. That is, well, that's the point, isn't it? That's the biggest reason why I think I continue to do this. I, I originally started making movies because I really wanted to make a movie. Well, I've done that 10 times now. So it, at some point it kind of starts to morph into something else. You have to have some other reason to continue to throw yourself repeatedly into the blender that is filmmaking. Uh, chop yourself up, puree yourself, and then make a smoothie out of yourself. And then throw it onto a screen and hope people think it tastes good. Which is a really weird expression to, to use. But it's about how I feel after a year of sort of killing myself to make something a reality and then making it a reality and then seeing it with a group of people and, and you know, getting good reactions and, and even some bad reactions. I mean, it's interesting. I've done this enough that I'm pragmatic now. In the beginning, it's always, you always do this thing where, you know, and I, I hear a lot of people say this, uh, especially newer filmmakers, that they put out something and maybe it doesn't get the exact reaction they're looking for someone criticizes it and their first the filmmakers and the people behind it their first reaction is always like wow you just don't get it well maybe that's the case some of the time maybe you don't but maybe it's just not that good or maybe it's just not for that person and after making 10 movies and if you've been listening to this audio cast you know i've been reading some of our amazon reviews of of the films and personal taste is different for every person and you must learn to understand that not everybody is going to like your stuff and that's okay it really is but there are some people that love it and there's some people that kind of like it and some people that really like it and some people that will hate it just because they don't like you and believe me over the years i've i've got some people that don't like me and that's okay you don't have to like me you don't have to like my movies. You don't have to like the people in my movies. You don't have to do anything at all. You really don't. All I'm doing is putting these goofy movies out and hoping people like them. But of course, there is no guarantee that people will. Having said that out loud now, I will admit that I have yet to hear too many negative things about Danny Johnson Saves the World. However, this close to its release, that's about right. It takes a little time for the sort of bad press to start creeping in. 
a lot of people were seem seem to be impressed, and they seem to be very impressed, especially with the child actors. And to be honest, I mean, aside from the fact that a bunch of them are my kids, so I'm kind of a you know proud papa. People seem genuinely impressed that these kids really stepped up and did a good job. Sometimes you work with kid actors and you worry about kid actor syndrome where they over-emote and don't understand the emotions they're trying to portray and they're just sort of saying their lines. Then again, if you've seen some of my earlier films, uh, you know that there are several actors who do that, or at least the over-emoting part. Well, okay, a lot of the actors over-emote. It's part of the melodrama of the type of films I make. Plus, there are certain actors out there who that's what they do. And some of those I don't work with anymore, and I'm okay with that. Which sounds super catty, and it probably is, but I'm admittedly proud of what I've accomplished having made ten films, and I don't feel egotistical about it, and I don't feel arrogant, because I still look at my films and I still see a mess of mistakes. And I see a bunch of screw-ups and missed opportunities and coulda, shoulda, wouldas. But I am proud of the fact that after 10 years, when I started only saying to myself, I want to make a film, to have made 10 in 10 years, well, damn it, I'm proud of that, and I'm not going to apologize for that. They're not perfect, but they're mine. And that's not a very Minnesotan thing to do. I'm from Minnesota, and very much in, in Minnesota, it's, it's, you don't toot your own horn. You don't do it. You must stay modest at all times. Because it's just, it's not right. But I'm, I don't know, I'm having sort of a moment of disbelief that I actually pulled off ten features in ten years. And I'm really happy that this was my tenth. I'm happy that I was able to get my children involved. And I do really think they did great. And we've been hearing a lot about, especially Alice, who plays young Evelyn Johnson uh, as a standout. That she, and I do think she steals the show when she's on screen. She's a little firecracker, and she's funny, and I think she does a great job. I think everyone does a great job, and I think Elliot, who played Danny Johnson, really carried the film, which it's not easy to do. Not a lot of people can do that. I know I couldn't carry a film, but I think Elliot stepped up to the plate and knocked it out of the park. Again, I'm his father, so take what I say with a certain grain of salt, but I think, honestly, if you haven't seen the movie, but you like the films of the Mimiverse, See it and judge for yourself, and I think you'll agree. He holds his own with, with the best of Mimiverse actors like Dan Shervin and Shannon McDonough. And especially taking into account his age, he's only 12, I think that says a lot. So I guess at this point, uh, if any of the actors or behind-the-scenes folks uh, are listening to this, and you helped in some way, and including the contributors, and including the, the people who even just keep us going during the dark times when we wonder why we continue to do this. I want to say thank you very much. And I, I had a really good time doing this. And I'm so happy it's out there. And so happy I'm done with another film. Uh, I always go through this at the end of the process. Where I start wondering, okay, what do I want to do next? And I've been talking for quite a while about the concept of taking a year off. I think I'm going to, but I don't think I'm going to take a year off the way some people think I am. I don't think I'm actually going to take a full year off of doing Mimiverse stuff. 
I think I won't be making a feature-length film this year. However, I have ideas for other things. First and foremost being that I've promised Adam Bull, the mastermind behind the Monster of Phantom Lake, the musical. Uh, if you came to the night before the thing, which is the pre-party for the late night double feature back in 2014, you saw we did a little preview of the Monster of Phantom Lake, the stage musical. Adam wrote all the music and did a lot of the legwork to make that little preview happen. And I'm writing the script and I, I committed to Adam that I would write the script this year after I finished Danny Johnson. So I fully intend to do that first. I'm adapting my script for the stage and he's done all the music and from that point forward it's kind of out of my hands and so I wonder knowing me I wonder if I can realistically take a year off because for 10 years I have been in this cycle of make a movie release a movie make a movie release a movie so here I am creeping in on June and I'm already feeling restless admittedly I want to make more stuff I'm still driven to do that, but I want to do this musical more than anything else, and I'm going to. But I know that once I've done my part, which is to write the script, uh, I'm going to get bored real quick. Sure, I have a lot of events coming up, and I'm, I would implore you to check out the SaintEuphoria.com events calendar to see that uh, lots of stuff is going on. Uh, I'll be a, a guest at the CoreCon, SciFiCon, up in Fargo, June 11th through the 14th. Plus, we're in the process of setting up other cool events, including one which I really want to encourage people to come out, is the Midnight Monster Movies Dr. Bob Ohio debut of Danny Johnson Saves the World, whereupon I and many others who make the Mimiverse films will be in attendance, so it's going to be it's going to be a party. It's going to be fun. And that's, on, that's in July, on July 11th. So I'll remind you about that next month but let's get back to what might happen so i have some ideas again i think it's pretty clear that a feature is off the table for this year however i have ideas for other things i would love to take a this year to catch up on a few things personal things for instance i need to really clean out the basement of my house wherein we've filmed a lot of these movies stuff has has stacked up and i need to clean it out i mean really clean it out because just over the years we've uh, accumulated a lot of things props and and junk some of which is just i always tell people this story that uh, for a long time i i you know when people find out that i make movies they instantly think to themselves when they see something in their their basement or in their garage hey that would make a great prop i'll give it to chris and they do which is nice because we've used a lot of that stuff but we have more than we need at this point and so we need to thin that a little bit so that's on the list that has nothing to do with the universe i know but that is definitely something i need to take the time to do the other things i have ideas for and at this point it's all mostly based on the idea of of reducing some of the pressure that comes with putting on a movie a year and you know taking a breather after 10 and 10 years i think i've earned that but i don't want to let the memoverse languish for a year so i like the idea of 
doing some smaller things to continue the Mimiverse and to, you know, prime us for the next decade. Because I've decided very much that the next decade of the Mimiverse is going to be a rebirth. Up to this point, things have been done a certain way with certain people. And, you know, some of that turned out good and some of it turned out not so great. And I've worked with some great people and I work with some not so great people. And I've worked with people that I love dearly and some people I never want to speak to again, admittedly. And I've decided that uh, going forward, I kind of want to reboot. And I think that's what this year off is about. It's time to reboot and find some new people. So if you're listening out there and you're thinking to yourself, I really want to help Christopher R. Mim make a film or be involved in some way, here's your chance. Now is your chance. Going forward after this year, I'm looking for new folks. I'm looking for new people. I'm looking for fresh blood and fresh ideas. So if you're out there and you want to be involved, just keep it in mind for when when it comes time. And I'll, I'll announce when I'm looking for people. When I decide to make another feature next year, I'll be looking for you. So keep it in the back of your head. As for stuff I do want to do this year, I want to do some radio plays. You know, I've had ideas for doing a Dr. Gabriel, Dr. Edwards kind of scientific sleuth radio shows. You know, free stuff. Just stuff to keep people interested. Stuff to keep people focused on the core of what all this is about, and that's nurturing the universe. Nurturing and expanding the universe I've created and keep it going and and bring it into some some different things i mean we got 10 movies now why not do some other stuff uh, we did the commander lambent thing and that's you know that's just goofiness why not instead why don't we do some things that are actual stories that take place in the memoverse and are considered canon in the universe let's do that other things i have uh i i came up with an idea for some some youtube stuff some smaller things you know, that would be kind of tales of the Mimiverse. Maybe they're 10, 15 minutes long, and they just focus on a single character or a single event. Maybe uh, Danny Johnson again. Maybe Dr. Edwards. Maybe Dr. Gabriel. Just something small. That's a, a short little story. Something fun, something cool. That I could film, and maybe we do enough of them that we eventually release them on DVD after a short run on YouTube. Who knows? I mean, this, this is the beauty of it, and this is actually what excites me the most, is that freed up for a year from even the shackles of worrying about making a feature and all that comes along with it, I can do whatever the hell I want, and I like the thought. I really do. And it allows me to maybe try a few things that I hadn't considered or wouldn't necessarily work in a long-form feature format. So that's where I'm at. But again, first... The monster film like the stage musical must be completed so that next year we would do a a special i guess opening night preview of that play for those who are really interested the other thing i was thinking of is if in the meantime in the downtime if i can throw together some some mimiverse shorts and i get enough to package them into a dvd or a blu-ray or whatever i might do a little bit of a party around the time this time next year that would be 
it wouldn't be a premiere in the way that we've been doing them for so long. It would be a smaller party for those who contribute, for those that want to be part of it. Uh, and it'd be almost a private party where we would we would show these shorts, sell DVDs, and then make them available on the, the website. And For those who came to the Night Before the Thing pizza party this year, it was really, really fun, and I know you know what I'm talking about. We had a great time. And I like the idea of sort of mashing those the, the Night Before the Thing and the premiere all into one event, uh, making it smaller, more intimate for those who really, really want to be there, and making it fun and just goofy and exciting and, and show some stuff. I don't know. That's that's where I'm kind of at right now. No feature. That's the truth. I don't. I, I just don't have it in me this year. But I have so many other little ideas that I would love to do. And I'm going to because I know I can't sit on my butt. I just, I can't. I, can't, I have to keep doing stuff. And so I'm going to. Okay, I think I've talked for a, quite a long time. And I try to keep these brief. So... Before I go, I want to again thank everybody who has supported the Mimiverse over the years, uh, either with your time or your hard-earned money or even just passing the information along to other people and letting them know and bringing people into the verse. And I just want you to know I really appreciate you guys. Sometimes doing this can feel very isolating simply because... 90% 90% of what I do is sitting in my office by myself editing or writing or, you know, updating the website or recording this or or writing the, the newsletter or updating Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I mean, a lot of this is very, I'm sort of alone in, in doing these things. And so there's times when I'm able to, you know, get together with other people and build sets or film stuff or go to a screening or do the premiere, or a party, or whatever. Those that those times really kind of save me when I'm feeling very, very isolated and wondering if you know what what's the point if anyone even cares. And then I'll get a, a nice little message from someone, and I realize that people do care. And maybe it's not millions of people, but the people who do care are the best people in the world. And they're always wonderful and sweet and they, they seem to really care. And that means the world to me. Because I've spent so much time creating this goofy little universe. It's stuff like that that makes me very much feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. And not just being crazy. <laughs> because that's my big fear is that I'm doing all this. And I'm spending all this time and money and effort and energy and no one cares and everyone thinks I'm insane and that's okay because life is short and if you don't do what you want you're wasting your time and you only get so much of it so take advantage of it all right I didn't mean this one to sort of come out so heavy and I feel like it did but in light of the heaviness um, coming up here we got some lighter more fun stuff first uh, Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio is back after a couple months off, he's been very busy, which congratulations, Derek. Uh, being busy is good. And if you ever get a chance, check out Monster Kid Radio at monsterkidradio.net. It is by far, if you're a fan of cheesy old you know, movies and monster movies and the kind of stuff that I'm emulating, 
Monster Kid Radio is a podcast run by Derek Cook that is by far head and shoulders the best thing out there for Monster Kids like like you and me. Plus, it won a Rondo, deservedly. Congrats, Derek, on winning that Rondo. We're Rondo buddies now. This month, uh, he put together a cool little thing that's a, a discussion of classic actor Cameron Mitchell and the 1951 film Flight to Mars and its tenuous relation to Professor Jackson, so that's definitely worth checking out. It's coming up next. After that, we have Chapter 4 of the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy Saga, and this month is called The Incident in the Malt Shop, a.k.a. A Date with Destiny. And this is, of course, the ongoing serial written by Stephen D. Sullivan. And remember, if you like, you know, the Canoe Cops thing, you want to keep hearing it, you want more, make sure you find Stephen Sullivan at his website or on Facebook and let him know you love it and want to hear it all the way through. And, of course, to wrap up the show, we'll have another bad joke from Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob. And don't forget, and I want to just put this out there again, July 11th in Columbus, Ohio, Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob will be hosting the Ohio premiere of Danny Johnson Saves the World. And in attendance will be me and a bunch of the stars of the film and other Mimiverse behind the scenesters. And it's definitely something you should come on out to. It's free. It's late at night, but it's free. I mean, it's called Midnight Monster Movies. That should tell you what time it's at. But it's free, and it's going to be really cool and fun. So you should come down. Okay. I'm going to throw it to Derek Cook here for a second. He's going to wow you with his production values and make my production values look not so great. And then when I come back, the incident in the malt shop, Chapter 4 of the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy Serial. I will talk to you guys in a bit. I'm not checking out the latest updates at SaintEuphoria.com or watching one of the movies directed by Christopher Armim. I'm producing my own show, Monster Kid Radio, where we celebrate the classics and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm Derek M. Cook, and I love classic monster movies, and that's why I love the movies of Christopher Armim. He draws his inspiration from a lot of these classic monster movies, these classic horror and sci-fi films from the 50s, and I can't help but notice possible inspirations from some of these classic movies. For example, not too long ago, I got on a Cameron Mitchell kick. Now, Cameron Mitchell was an actor. He did a lot of westerns and a few horror movies and a few genre films here and there. He appeared on an episode of The Night Gallery. So I was looking at his IMDb credit list and learned that he was in a movie called Flight to Mars. From 1951. For centuries, science has studied Mars, the only planet where life may exist. Now the screen creates for you the fascinating, frightening spectacle of the first flight to Mars. Hurtling through the universe, rocketing toward terrifying dangers. Good heavens, we're heading right into it. This could destroy us. We'll have to get out of it. On toward Mars, with disaster threatening at every moment. Human emotions caught up in the terrific tension of the flight. Here is the suspense, the surprise, drama of the unknown. Flight to Mars. We have been expecting you. You will come with us now. 
amazing underground Martian cities, a planet of wonders, both scientific and human, of exciting beauty. Do you still object to my proposal? To destroy these people and all the people on the world as well? Yes, I do. Our planet is dying. If this ship ever leaves here, it may well be our last chance for survival. You know the way we've constructed this thing? There's a good chance we might be able to bring back a couple of extra people. I didn't want to tell you until I was sure of it. But you're going back with it. Tense, exciting adventure on a planet of forbidding danger. Starring Marguerite Chapman and Cameron Mitchell. In the trailer, you heard some of the cast list, Cameron Mitchell, Marguerite Chapman, and so on. There's another actor in this film named Richard Gaines, and he plays a character named, wait for it, Professor Jackson. Now, I cannot think or hear or read the name Professor Jackson without thinking about Christopher's first few films with the Professor Jackson character played by Josh Craig. And then, of course, Josh Craig would appear in a few other films as well, playing a descendant of Professor Jackson. In fact, Jackson's presence would be felt in the MIM films to at least attack the moon zombies, where the moon base is named after him. So Professor Jackson is a key character in the Mimiverse. So it was a pleasant surprise and a little comforting to run into this Professor Jackson character in Flight to Mars. Now, is this Professor Jackson anything like Mim's Professor Jackson? Not really. The Professor Jackson in Flight to Mars is a little bit more subdued. He's not the hero the way Professor Jackson is in Mim's films. Cameron Mitchell is more the rough-and-tumble character, and rightly so. I mean, it's Cameron freaking Mitchell. If you're not familiar with Mitchell's work, you need to check him out, because I think he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. But that's probably the topic for another podcast at another time. Back to Flight to Mars. I actually found myself enjoying this movie quite a bit, not knowing much about it going into the film. I did learn later that it came out shortly after movies like Rocket Ship XM, which is one of the, if not the first, trip to outer space to another planet type films. In fact, Flight to Mars, which was produced by Monogram, ended up using some of the same sets for the interior spaceships and such as Rocket Ship XM, which I have seen and I do enjoy. So that was a nice, familiar touchstone as well. The story of Flight to Mars is pretty simple, and the trailer laid it out for you, made it pretty clear group of astronauts and then a journalist who's played by Cameron Mitchell go up in space, land on Mars, and then run into a civilization that may not be as honest as they appear to be, have a few ulterior motives, so to speak. I don't want to ruin the movie. I don't want to spoil it because I do think it's a fun film. Even if every time you watch the movie, you can't help but think about Josh Craig the minute somebody says, oh, Professor Jackson, you can find me on my home podcast, Monster Kid Radio at monsterkidradio.net. We release two episodes a week, every Tuesday and Thursday, and we talk about nothing but these types of movies, the movies that we love so much from this era, from the 30s through the 60s, with occasional toe-dipping outside of that time period for some films that might throw back to this era, like the movies of Christopher R. Mem. This has been Monster Kid Movies with Monster Kid Radio's Derek M. Cook. Thank you, Derek. You know, when I listen to the things that Derek sends us, I have to say, the production of value he manages is out of this world. If anything else, man, you if you're listening, and anyone who's ever checked out his stuff, Derek, you absolutely deserved the Rondo Award for Best Podcast. Yours is head and shoulders above everyone else's, and 
I'm really proud of you, man. Good job. Uh, when you get that Rondo Award in the mail, make sure you take a picture so we can, we can you know, put it everywhere and talk about how we knew you win. Anyway, here we go. We're back with uh, the continuation of the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy Serial, written by Stephen D. Sullivan. This month, we have Chapter 4, entitled The Incident in the Malt Shop, a.k.a. A Date with Destiny. And it goes something like this. <clears throat> Jumping catfish, Kay. It's been one heck of a day. Pull up a chair and I'll tell you about it. Want a grape knee-high? No, don't get up. I, I can get it. Be back in a moment. So it all began while I was working at the shop with Dad this morning. It started out as just another summer day, you know, prepping boats and canoes for tourists, selling a few swimsuits, filling the dive tanks. Then we get a call from the canoe cops. A truck drove off Gordon's Causeway last night, the voice on the phone says. Can you come down and help do a recovery dive on it, Julie? Sure thing, I reply. Dad hasn't done any diving this season. His leg isn't the same since that skiing accident last winter. So, just a standard scuba recovery job like I've been doing for the shop since Mom died back when I was 15. No problem, right? That's what I thought, too. And it really wasn't much trouble, aside from getting tangled up in soggy mummy wrappings for a moment. That was pretty scary, until Rich cut me free. Yeah, Richard Agar, freshly minted lieutenant with the Canoe Cops. That's what I wanted to talk to you about, Kay, not some soggy old mummy. I agree, Rich is a dreamboat, in most ways. So at the end of the whole incident, he asks me out for coffee. Well, actually, I asked him out because, you know, he's got that kind of manly, shy thing going. And if I had to wait for him to ask, well, I was afraid it would never happen. Anyway, he and I decide to go up to the attic malt shop for some coffee and conversation. I was hoping for somewhere a little more private, but just getting him to go out at all is a red-letter day in my book. And of course, the attic is crowded because it's not a very big place. Plus, it's almost the dinner rush hour by the time Rich and I change out of our work clothes. Yes, separately, Kay, you devil, and get to the restaurant. We still manage to get a nice pair of seats under one of the gables, fairly near the main entrance. It's not very secluded, but a girl's got to take what she's got to take. Oh, I nearly forgot to mention this, and it's pretty important. Burl, you know, that big guy from the gas station? He's there, too, sitting right next to the doorway, and he just leers at me as I come in. I know, right? Total creep. He's tried to play grab hands with me a couple times before, but he doesn't dare to do anything but stare, because I'm with Rich, the manly canoe cop. And I'm almost disappointed because I've been working on my right cross since that time Burl's hand just happened to brush against my rear end in Flag's pharmacy, and I'd really love the opportunity to deck him. I don't get the chance today, though, which I guess is okay, because brawling is probably not the best way to start a first date. Yes, I said date, though I'm not entirely sure Rich sees it that way. But let me keep telling the story. No sooner do we get our orders in with Maggie, the waitress, than this ruckus starts up in the doorway. At first, I think it's maybe Burl hassling someone, one of his favorite pastimes. But then I see this strange little Egyptian gentleman I'd met earlier, Mr. Hawass. It was his possessions that Rich and I recovered from the sunken truck. Yes, that's where the necklace came from. Pretty great, isn't it? Mr. Hawass gave it to me as a reward. I wasn't really sure if I should take it, but it's so beautiful. How could I turn it down? Anyway, Mr. Hawass isn't very tall, but he's jostling in the doorway with a gent who looks like he could give Burl a run for his money in the size department. In fact, this new guy looks like he's even taller than Burl by an inch or two, but not nearly as heavy. Hawass doesn't seem too interested in talking to him, but the guy is very insistent. 
I'm telling you, Mr. Hawass, this could be the greatest thing that ever happened to you, the stranger says. Forget this museum stuff. You stick with me and you'll be raking in the dough by the cartload. Excuse me, sir, Hawass says, but I do not even know you. Oh, I'm sorry, the stranger says, extending his hand. I'm William Corman, but my friends call me Bill. Wild Bill Corman, the man who makes those dreadful horror movies, Hawass asks. That's me, Corman says proudly. Make him, promote him, and collect all that lovely green. I just happen to be heading home through town after finishing publicity on my newest film, Castle of Seven Spectres, when I heard about the unfortunate accident that had befallen your collection. My collection, says Hawass, puzzled. Yeah, Corman continues. It was all the talk down at Flag Soda Counter. Crashed truck, lost trove of Egyptian antiquities, and maybe even a mummy, all in the drink. Darn shame. And what has this to do with you, Mr. Corman? Hawass asks. Well, like I said, I just finished marketing my latest flick, and I'm looking around for a new project. I'm a promoter by trade, and do you know what I found when I set foot in this town? Dog do, Burl pipes in from a seat nearby. Exactly the opposite, Corman declares. What I saw was, and is, potential. This sleepy little bucolic town has everything it needs to become a major tourist attraction. Except a major tourist attraction. That's where you and your mummy come in, Mr. Hawass. You team up with me and we can raise your lost treasures from the bottom of Phantom Lake and build them into something that people will flock from miles around to see. Mr. Hawass looks skeptical, but I can see the wheels are turning upstairs. And Corman's pitch has me, Rich, and pretty much everybody else in the restaurant hanging on every word. Imagine this, Corman continues. Usually people have to travel to a big city to see genuine Egyptian relics, but now they can come here to do it and have a boffo vacation as well. It worked in Niagara, and it can work in Phantom Lake. Corman and Hawass present the lost treasure of the mummy. Corman rainbows his hand above his head when he says this, like the phrase will be up in lights. What do you say? Hawass shakes his head. I do not think so. Hawass and Corman, then, the promoter suggests. No, Mr. Corman, Hawass says, turning to go. I do not believe that I am interested in such a venture. Think about it, at least, Corman tells him. I'm down at the Hotel Talbot if you change your mind. Drop by any time, day or night. I'm pretty sure that Hawass is going to walk away without answering, but just as the Egyptian is about to leave, Burl sticks his foot out. Hawass trips and nearly falls on his face, but manages to prop himself up with his walking stick just in time. He rounds on Burl red-faced. Why, you! He raises his jackal-headed cane as if to hit somebody. Burl lurches to his feet, knocking over his chair and glares at the smaller man. Why, what? Pipsqueak. You did that deliberately, Corman says, stepping between the two of them. And for a moment, I think that the whole place is going to erupt into one big brawl. But then, of course, Lieutenant Agar has to take a hand. Break it up, Rich orders, standing and walking toward the three men. You know, Kay, I'm not a sucker for that kind of macho bluster, but the way Rich takes command, well, I gotta admit, it makes a shiver run down my spine. Canoe cops don't really have any authority on dry land, but I guess Hawass and the rest must be buying Rich's act, too, because all of them take a step away from each other. Officer Agar, Hawass says, how opportune to see you. And catching sight of me, he adds, and how lovely to see you as well, Miss Browning. As for you, and here he glares at Burl, you and I shall settle this insult at a more convenient moment. Burl sneers at him. Any time, runt. The two of them scowl at each other for a moment. Then Hawass turns on his heel and hurries out of the restaurant before Corman can catch up to him. Burl settles back into his chair by the door. Rich returns to our table. Corman's eyes light up and he walks toward us. Well, that was almost fun, wasn't it? He says, grinning. 
Do tempers always run so high here, Officer? Agar, was it? He offers his hand, and Rich shakes it. Usually, things are pretty quiet here in Phantom Lake, Rich tells him. Unless you count the lake monster and the mummies, I put in, me and my big mouth. There's a lake monster as well as a mummy? Corman asks, curious. Mind if I join you? Without waiting for an answer, he pulls up a seat to our table. Corman flashes a disarming smile at me. What can you tell me about this lake monster, miss? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch your name. Browning, I say, offering a handshake. Julie Browning. He takes my hand and kisses it. And you know, okay, even though I know he's something of a phony, his movies aren't very good, I can't help but feel flattered. Would you by any chance be related to the Brownings of Browning's Dip and Dive? Corman asks. Yes, I reply. It's owned by my father. How did you... I happen to pass by it on my way into town, Corman says. It looks like a nice little business. I make it a point to notice things like that when I come to a new city. Phantom Lake is more of a town than a city, Rich says, folding his arms over his chest. He's not looking too happy about our coffee and conversation being put on hold. Not that I blame him. Corman grins. Town or city, never do small to make a fortune. That's what I say. Speaking of fortunes, that's a lovely necklace you're wearing, Julie. Do you mind if I call you Julie? Is it really Egyptian? And that, Kay, is how my attempt at a first date with Lieutenant Richard Agar ends. The end. Oh, man. Okay, so apparently next is Panic on the Pier. I, I haven't received Panic on the Pier yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you're enjoying this. I really am. And... Uh, I'll be honest, I like the uh, the Corman character, I feel certain. <laughs> Kinship with the guy. Okay, well, with that, I think we will wrap this up. I want to thank you again for listening. And if you haven't seen Danny Johnson Saves the World yet, please do. It's a fantastic film, and I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's going to be considered one of the better ones as time goes on. As always, I am writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and remember, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Good night. Or good afternoon. Good morning. I don't know when you're listening to this. Either way, here comes Dr. Bob. <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Memiverse Joke of the Month. A lawyer is cross-examining a doctor about whether he checked the pulse of a deceased before he signed the death certificate. And the doctor says, no, I didn't check his pulse. The lawyer says, well, did you listen for a heartbeat at least? The doctor says, well, no, I didn't. So the lawyer says, when you signed the death certificate, you had not taken the steps to make sure he was dead. And the doctor said, well, the man's brain was in a jar on my desk, but for all I know, he could be out there practicing law right now. Make sure you come out June 13th to the Gateway Film Center for the 25th anniversary showing of Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. Mm-hmm.